True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch, crushing! Deep left field! This is way back! Welcome Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. You can only have one. Aaron Ashby or Nick Lodolo. Who are you taking? Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on Tuesday, July 26th. Frank Sample joined by the Scotty Dub, Scott White. Today on the show, another day, more waiver wire moves. What is wrong with Sean Manaya? Admittedly, one of my worst calls this season. I have a Whit Merrifield question, not me personally, but an emailer. Uh, so we'll talk about Whit Merrifield and a few other players that we just haven't talked about enough this season and much more. But let's get into the standouts first for Monday. Oh my good, goodness gracious! Well, Scott, I mean, hopefully the good news is that people have both Ashby and Nick Lodolo on their team. But <laughs> for this exercise, we're going to have to choose which one we'd rather have. And I will let you start with... Whichever one you want. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, really? I get to choose? I thought we had already picked beforehand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it just so happens that I, I did pick the one that I would rather roster in fantasy. And that is probably to the surprise of no one who's listened regularly. That is Aaron Ashby, who I think, I think has the optimal skill set a pitcher can have in today's game, the, the optimal uh, combination of attributes. Namely, he is a premier bat misser and he is a premier ground ball guy. In fact, his ground ball rate, if he had enough innings to qualify, would be the second highest in, in baseball behind only Framber Valdez, who's like, you know, a distant first. He's a complete outlier. Framber Valdez always has been. Uh, but Ashby would be number two behind him if he had the innings to qualify. And uh, that combination of skills should make for a a pitcher who's routinely among the ERA leaders if he can get the walks under control. The walks have been a major problem since he joined the rotation. He also had that issue, uh, what was it, an elbow thing? Uh, He had a a minor injury that cost him some time after joining the rotation, so he's been working his way back from that as well. And it's been a rough go of it so far. He did finally turn in an excellent performance here on Monday, though, against the Rockies uh, when a season-high seven innings struck out nine. Uh, He had like a six-inning, 11-strikeout start back in May, and then it's been mostly bad since then. So it's been a long time since we've seen Ashby live up to his potential, but... He did in this start. Granted, Rockies on the road. That's a favorable matchup for a pitcher. But still, it was an impressive start. And, and I think the timing of it is interesting because over the weekend, the Brewers, you mentioned it on yesterday's show, Frank, the Brewers signed Ashby to a five-year deal, which obviously they didn't need to do. They're being proactive, locking up a guy they believe in for what will hopefully be a discounted rate over the next five years. But the key word, the key phrase being they're a guy they believe in. So despite Ashby's struggles over the past few weeks, the Brewers uh, still saw fit to invest in him long term, which generally clubs only do if 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 they trust he's going to to be someone who's going to make an impact for them during that time. So 
clearly they expressed confidence with that deal. And I think Ashby could be one of the biggest breakout players of the second half. And this could be the start of it. Again, he has to overcome those walk issues, but throwing 73% of his pitches for strikes like he did in this start and put that in perspective, 65% is, is a good percentage of strikes. And he threw 73 for strikes. If, you know, more of that, more of that from Aaron Ashby and there'll be no stopping him. I feel like the audience will probably like it more if we just like argue and debate things more, but I agree with you wholeheartedly, Scott. I don't, I don't know what else to add besides uh, that the arsenal it, it to me is, is everything that you want from a young starting pitcher. It's, you know, a upper nineties fastball from a left-handed starter and he's got three secondary pitches in the slider, the change up to curveball that all generate whiffs Gets ground balls, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, swinging strikes. Everything is there. I mean, the surface level numbers don't look great this season because, again, you're right, the walks have been an issue at times. But, you know, the ERA is over four. The XFIP 3.15. Ground ball rate looks fantastic. Well over a strikeout per inning. He's part of an organization that has done a great job developing starting pitchers from Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff. Everything is there for Aaron Ashby to be really, like you said, the breakout starting pitcher in the second half. It's really just the control and... You know, this forearm injury just kind of lingering in the back of my mind. But look, if the Brewers were not worried enough to give him a five-year extension, albeit a, a very team-friendly one if it works out, mm-hmm. um, then I, I think that we should have a lot of faith and trust in Aaron Ashby as well. The other starting yeah, pitch... Well, hang on. You mentioned real quick that, you know, four pitches capable of generating whiffs. Like, all the whiff rate on all four of those pitches, curveball, 44%, changeup, 32%, slider, 40%. And then even the fastball, which is you know really more of a sinker, and being a ground ball specialist and all, that's nearly twenty percent on the fastball, which is an you know it, it's normal for it to be much lower than the secondary offerings, but that's high for a fastball. So like all four of them, it, it really stands out how uh, the whiff rate individually, and then it makes for an overall whiff rate that's very high, of course. Yeah, and I say all this like I realize the, the results recently haven't been good, but hopefully this could be the start uh, of something big here in the second half for Aaron Ashby. The other pitcher, which I mentioned on Monday, who looked fantastic, was Nick Lodolo. He posted a season-high nine strikeouts against the lowly Miami Marlins. It's worth mentioning. He goes six innings, five hits, two unearned runs, the nine strikeouts to two walks. He had 14 swinging strikes on 96 pitches in this start. And uh, there was a pretty cool pitching ninja. It was not. It wasn't a GIF. It was a video because I think it was a little bit longer than what a GIF is supposed to be. But I know you like to say GIF, Scott. And it's GIF, GIF. I don't know. Anyway, Lodolo he struck out the side in the sixth inning, his final inning of work, third time through the order, and each strikeout was on a different pitch. So his sinker, his changeup, his curveball, and I, I thought that that was just really interesting because again, it's like he's got three great pitches here, mid nineties sinker. He can get whiffs with the with the curveball and the change up there. He's another one where like the surface level numbers don't look good for Lodolo, but the underlying numbers look very good for him, Scott. So uh, mm-hmm. obviously you said that you would take Ashby over Lodolo, but let's kind of mix in some of the names that we talked about yesterday too and throw like back Braxton Garrett, Reed Detmers, even Dustin May in this mix because he's one of the most added starting pitchers on CBS right now. So uh, Ashby, I assume, is at the top of that list, but... Where does Lodolo yeah. kind of fit in with Garrett, Detmers, Dustin May? Well, I do think Ashby's the clear number one over all of them. Uh, if we had a clear timetable for Dustin May, I could I could probably put, put him number two. I mean, he's, he's going to be great when he gets back. I'm pretty confident in that. But he's you know made two two-inning rehab starts coming back from Tommy John's surgery. Uh, so when do we when do we actually see him? I don't know. It would depend on a lot of different circumstances. Obviously, if you're, if it's easier to stash a guy on an IL spot than a bench spot right now, that probably moves May right behind Ashby for me. The others, I'll, I'll, I think the one I have the most confidence in is is Reed Detmers with that uh, improved slider that he's throwing harder. You know, he's he's three for three in terms of delivering good starts with that. Lodolo has. Uh, you know, he, he clearly has more upside than than Braxton Garrett too. I'm not, I'm not sure where I'm at with Lodolo. I, I mean, there's a good chance you already picked him up for a two start week against the Marlins and the Orioles. Uh, if you didn't, 
yeah, you could pick him up off after this start and see where it goes. But I, I'm not at a point with Nick Lodolo where I'm probably going to be that patient with bad starts because, like, for the most part, he's been bad, right? And bad, you mentioned the underlying numbers look great for Nick Lodolo. He has a lot of strikeouts. The walks have been high. The swinging strike rate overall has been good, but not not as good as you'd expect given the strikeout rate. He's gotten hit very hard. He's not a ground ball pitcher, unlike uh, Ashby, and that makes him vulnerable to home runs in a small park. He is a talented guy, and, and the breakthrough has to start somewhere, and no one's saying it can't start against the Marlins, but you look at how bad the Marlins are against left-handers. They have the highest strikeout rate. They have the lowest OPS against left-handers, and you kind of figured you know, things are probably going to turn out pretty well for Nick Lodolo in this start. So definitely want to see more from him as good as he looked this time out. Um, I do think the future is bright for Nick Lodolo. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure that this is the start of the breakout for him. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, look, putting it in perspective against the Marlins, you're right. I mean, they are brutal right now offensively in general, but they are especially bad against left-handed pitching. And uh, when it comes to Lodolo, yeah, he does need some work on, on his three pitches that he relies on, the sinker, the curveball, the the change. I say curve, it looks like a, I don't know, slider, slurve type pitch, but Baseball Savant labels it as a curve. Um, that pitch is very, very good. The others, the changeup, yeah. the, the sinker, they haven't necessarily been great uh, yet for Nick Lodolo. Tough ballpark to pitch in, I agree. It's Ashby for me. I think it's really close between Lodolo and Detmers. If you wanted to take Detmers, I don't have a problem with it, but I, I personally would probably take Lodolo. Um, and then it's Dustin May and, and Braxton Garrett uh, behind those names for me. Uh, other waiver wire starting pitchers from Monday, not nearly as exciting as the ones we've already talked about, but uh, Zach Greinke has put together some solid starts since returning from the IL. He went five shutout with five strikeouts against the Angels and in six starts since returning from the IL. He's got a 3.19 ERA. He's 45% rostered. Adrian Sampson turns in his first quality start in six tries. He was up against the Pirates. He went seven innings, two runs, had only three strikeouts. His ERA is 2.97 so far. JT Brubaker, another solid outing. He was at the Cubs on the other side in that game. Six innings, two runs, did give up a good amount of hits, uh, base runners in general, eight hits, two walks, uh, only had four strikeouts. His last 11 starts for Brubaker, 3.09 ERA, 58 strikeouts, 11.3% swinging strike rate. He's been solid. The control is the issue there. And then Kyle Freeland, arguably his best start of the season. I don't know how much it matters. Seven shutout with seven strikeouts. He was at the Brewers. His ERA is still well over four, 4.64. Uh, Scott, any interest in these names? Maybe in deeper leagues, Granke, Sampson, Brubaker, Kyle Freeland. I think my favorite is Brubaker. But yeah, I mean, uh, for having a what is it, 317 ERA over his past eight starts. The whip during that stretch is very high. And, um, you know, he pitches for the Pirates, so he doesn't have a high margin for error there. So it's not saying much that Brubaker's my favorite. The, I mean, I see them basically all as streamer types. Freeland, the start, he actually beat Aaron Ashby in this start, unfortunately for Ashby. Uh, so it was it was a road start. And his ERA on the road, he entered with a 3.57 ERA on the road, so it's gotten even better. So that makes him potentially uh, a pretty good streamer whenever he's on the road. But you know that doesn't come with a lot of strikeouts or anything like that. So we're not talking, we're not talking like must start on the road. Um, yeah, that's about it. Not not terribly excited about this group. I cannot blame you. Let's move over to some waiver wire hitters. Third base. We talk about third base all the time, how it's not great. And we had a few that actually stood out here on Monday. Josh Rojas with the Diamondbacks. He has four different position eligibilities on CBS. Second base, third base, shortstop, and outfield. He went two for four with a walk and three stolen bases. He is batting 279 on the season. Only five homers but does have 11 steals total. He's 58% rostered, been leading off consistently for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Alec Bohm has back-to-back three-hit games, and he's having a pretty big July. He's batting 429 in the month, two homers, two doubles, uh, 10 RBI, 
only seven strikeouts, 90 mile per hour, average exit velocity, he's 49% rostered. And then Jamer Candelario, it's been a brutal season for him, but he did have a big game here. Three for four with a double dong, and he's turning it around. Last 11 games, he's batting 314 during that time, putting the ball in the air more, uh, and, and does have a few home runs during that span. Had a big second half last year, too, so maybe something uh, he can get going here in the second half. Scott, what do you think? If you need a third baseman in a deeper league, maybe a corner infielder, Rojas, Bohm, Candelario. My favorite is Rojas. Uh, because he he offers that speed element. And as you said, at least against righties, he bats leadoff. Carson Kelly has been batting leadoff against less lefties, which makes sense. Carson Kelly's always demolished left-handers. And uh, last I checked, he had two doubles again here on Monday night, so Carson Kelly's hot. But anyway, yeah. back to Rojas. Yeah, he's probably my favorite, but, you know, not... I, I don't see an especially high ceiling there because I don't think there's a lot of power potential. We had hopes for it at one point in time, but I think now we've seen enough of him at the major in the majors to know that 2019 season in the minors was was probably a product of a juiced ball. Uh, Bowman Candelario, yeah, I mean, I don't. There's not enough there to get me excited yet. I want to watch Bohm. I know we kind of mention him here and there at times. Uh, he makes a lot of contact. He he's putting. He's put the ball in the air a little bit more this season as well. It's a great ballpark to hit in. And again, he's he's having a big July. So let's see if he can kind of build off this and, and maybe get some power production. That's what we really need to see out of Alec Bohm. What about his teammate? This is probably more in deeper leagues. Maybe someone you want to scout for now. But Bryson Stott went two for four, hit his seventh home run. He added five RBI in this game. And over his last 10 games, he's 11 for 35. That's a 314 batting average. He's got three home runs. And the overall numbers this season are not great. As I mentioned, batted ball data doesn't look good. Only 23% rostered. But, you know, was a pretty decent prospect coming into the season, Scott. Anything to do with Bryson Stott? I don't think you need to do anything with Bryson Stott yet, but I am keeping an eye on him. Since May 31st, he has an 89.5 mile per hour average exit velocity, which is solid. Uh, you, you know, you can definitely hit for power with that kind of exit velocity, 89.5. His strikeout rate since May 31st is 12.2%, which is very good. Making a lot of contact, and it's pretty good contact. He's batting 229 with a 400 slug during that time. So, <laughs> you know, that's why I say, like, there, there's nothing to act on here yet, but I do see things slowly trending the right direction for Bryson Stott. And, and yes, he does have... A solid prospect pedigree. Uh, looks like he has pretty good plate discipline, which is a nice foundational skill to have. But yeah, he has to start actually producing more consistently. Look, he's in the right ballpark to get it done, right? Left-handed hitter in Citizens Bank. It seems like you know it would be a match made in heaven. It's just you know he was a huge power hitter in the minors. Someone he put the ball, uh, the bat on the ball quite a bit, but uh, maybe he could tap into that a little bit more here in the second half. Carson Kelly, you're right, Scott. I mean, he had another big game here on Monday. He went two for four with the two doubles, as you mentioned, two runs scored, two RBI, and in the month of July. He's hitting 385, four homers, 10 RBI, and 1149 OPS. So Carson Kelly, he is very hot right now. And let's see, you know, one catcher league, Scott, say you've been riding out with like Caber Ruiz, Sean Murphy, Christian Vasquez, really that, you know, I guess not even second tier. It's probably like the third tier of starting catchers. Would you drop those names for Carson Kelly right now? Okay, so Caber Ruiz, say, say a couple others there. Caber Ruiz, Sean Murphy, Christian Vasquez, yeah. that kind Vasquez, of group. Vasquez has been pretty hot too, but yeah. if, you, if you're not happy with your catcher and it's not an obvious stud, you know, like, uh, I don't know, who's, who's been cold there near the top of the rankings. I, I, I don't think Travis Darno has been doing anything recently. Like, I'm not dropping Travis Darno. Right. But, you know, if, if, if it is... If it if it's a little if, if it's a catcher who's a little beyond that high end group and um and you're not happy with his performance, like yes, in a one catcher league, you can always swap out for the hot hand. And in Carson Kelly's case, it may prove to be more than that. I mean, Carson Kelly was a consensus top ten catcher going into last season. 
uh, it's just had a horrible time this year and, and missed missed a good stretch with injury. But he appears to be heating up. And, uh, you know, he's young enough that he could recapture that form that made him uh, it, at least a borderline high-end catcher in, in fantasy previously. I know you asked for a catcher up near the top who's been struggling, Scott. You, you mentioned Travis Darno. Wilson Contreras in the month of July hitting 148, one homer, 529 OPS. So has yeah. not been great. No, hasn't. But I, I, yeah, I don't think anybody's going to drop oh, yeah, Wilson of course. Contreras yeah. based I on that. Wanted to mention he's kind of cooled down sure. here a little bit. What is wrong with Sean Manaya? It's, you know, I wrote here nightmare season. It No, nightmare start. It was a nightmare start. It hasn't been a nightmare season. But, you know, it has been underwhelming overall. He was at the Tigers of all places. He gets rocked here. Three and a third innings, eight hits, nine runs. Only four of them were earned. There was, like, a brutal error for Eric Hosmer that started an inning and kind of ended with, like, a grand slam to Eric Haas. Uh, but... Yeah, I mean, he gave up a lot of hard contact in this start. 91.3 mile per hour average exit velocity. The ERA climbs to 4.33, 1.28 whip. The walks are way up this season, which really has not been part of Sean Manaya in his entire career. And, you know, Scott, I think I just kind of tried to um, make something where it wasn't here with Sean Manaya coming into the season. Like, his K-minus walk rate last year was really good, but I just think... There's a ceiling, like his upside is capped when he relies on a sinker that's 91 miles per hour and he throws it 63, 65% of the time. So it's just, I feel like when that's your main pitch, your overall upside is just kind of capped as a starting pitcher in fantasy. Yeah, no, I mean, that's how I saw Sean Manai coming into the season. And, and the thing you had to remember about him uh, last year, his velocity was much higher than we had been used to seeing. He averaged 92.1 miles per hour on that sinker. And he still ended up with an ERA near four, you know, pitching for Oakland in a very big park and a division full of big parks. So like any regression in that velocity, I thought could lead to trouble. I remember we did argue about Sean Manaya a couple times in the preseason. Um, yeah, his velocity is is down more than a mile per hour from last year. It's more typical of Sean Manaya. And it's been it's been kind of a, a rocky go of it. Now I don't think he's like a, a total scrub. I, I don't think you need to drop him based on this start or the way he's pitched recently. Uh but he's more in like the probably more in the Jose Urquidi class of pitchers. I was going to say Merrill Kelly, but Merrill Kelly's been so hot right now. <laughs> but that's kind of the range where I think Sean Manaya is, as opposed to being like a, a high-end pitcher. Yeah, and I moved him down in the rankings a little bit, outside the top 40 starters. You're right. I mean, you know, closer to like the Adam Wainwright, Miles Michaelis kind of group. I, I think Sean Manaya kind of fits in well there, who, you know, he's solid. It's like a high-floor pitcher, but I, I just don't really know how much upside is there. You mentioned, I, like... I don't know. Are you thinking about dropping him? He's still 96% rostered. Let's say Aaron Ashby is available. Would you would you make that swap? Manaya for Ashby. Well, I mean, I love Ashby, so I think I probably would. Uh, I don't know if I'm comfortable recommending that to everybody. I, I think the shallower <laughs> the league you play in, the more you can sell out for upside, the harder you can sell out for upside. Like Sean Manaya is not going to be a difference maker in a 10-team league. Aaron Ashby probably isn't either, but he has a better chance of being that if he does meet the full extent of his potential. Yeah, yeah. I I don't have it ranked that way, but I yeah, I think that's a fair breakdown, Scott. Uh, we got a question I mentioned earlier about Whit Merrifield, which caused me to look into him a little bit further. This one was from Jeff. And he says, I've had Whitmerryfield on my shallow 10-team head-to-head keeper league team most of the last decade, but am making a run at the championship, and I'm not seeing or feeling as if Wit is going to pick it up this year. Nico Horner and Ramon Arias will not remain out there much longer. Am I crazy to grab one of those and say goodbye to Whitmerryfield? So I looked at his numbers since the start of May. Remember, Whit Merrifield mm-hmm. got off to a brutal start in April, which a lot of hitters did. You know, new environment, cold weather, so on and so forth. 69 games since the start of May. Whit Merrifield is hitting 277. This includes tonight. Five homers, 
44 runs, 12 steals. 150 game pace with those numbers. 11 homers, 96 runs, 26 steals. Again, betting 277. You put that up against what he did last year, it's with Merrifield. Granted, the steals are a little bit underwhelming. Last year, he stole 40 bases. I get it. 26 steals is not 40. But, I mean, since the start of May, he's basically been Whit Merrifield, Scott. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Yep. So, so no, I, I, I think he's clearly better than those two, those two waiver wire options that you mentioned. I agree. Yeah, I mean, look, Nico Horner, I get it. He's hot right now. Same thing with Ramon Arias. Arias, he's been very good over the past month or so but you know Whitmerry Field in the second half too you know if some of these kids start to play well Salvador Perez will get to it coming back soon for the Royals between him and Vinny P who had a, a pretty good game here on Monday and uh, Bobby Witt can get back on the field I know he's dealing with a hamstring you know there, there are some pieces here in the Royals offense I would expect better things for Whitmerry Field and maybe he gets traded because uh, I believe at least record wise the the Royals are one of the worst teams in all of baseball. Before we hit the break, I want to remind everyone to join our Facebook group. If you haven't already, facebook.com slash groups slash fantasy baseball today, or just go to Facebook and search fantasy baseball today. And for sure, you'll be able to find it. I think well, we're closing in on like 9,000 group members. So that's pretty awesome. I think 10K would be a nice uh, little milestone if we can hit that before the end of the season. And this is the final week. I know we've mentioned it a lot recently, but the final week to nominate Fantasy Baseball today for the Best Sports Podcast category in the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Again, the link to help us out there, podcastawards.com slash app slash signup, and then toggle down the sports category. We have a QR code in the top right corner if you're watching us on YouTube. Pull out your phone, scan it. That'll bring you right to the link. And again, just hit the uh, sports category for that. We've included the link at the top of the podcast and YouTube descriptions as well. We'll take a break and we'll return right after this. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. The news and notes, Yordan Alvarez was back in the lineup on Monday. I know he's been in and out recently with that hand soreness, and I don't believe he did anything of note, but I will... Pull that up and see. Julio Rodriguez has missed four straight with left wrist soreness, but the Mariners seem pretty confident that he will return on Tuesday. Jordan Alvarez went 0 for 3 with a walk, a run, and two strikeouts. Doesn't sound like the Jordan Alvarez that I know. Bryce <laughs> Bryce Harper. He'd never do that. No, never. Bryce Harper was not cleared Monday to have pins removed from his surgically re- repaired left hand and will be reevaluated in one week from now. We stand corrected. We spoke about Salvador Perez on yesterday's podcast, and then lo and behold, on Monday, we get a report that he will begin a rehab assignment at AAA on Tuesday. He caught a bullpen session and participated in batting practice this past weekend. I was just looking at the ranking, Scott, and I believe I saw that you moved Salvador Perez back up to your fourth-ranked catcher. Are you confident in that? Yeah, I am. 
like I'm I'm confident he shouldn't be lower than that. Uh, I have currently ahead of him Wilson Contreras, uh, Will Smith, Alejandro Kirk, and that's it, right? I yes, those are the. Three. I, I mean, there, there's certainly a scenario like if 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 Salvador Perez is back in a week. You know, and he's starting his rehab assignment. So, I mean, that that seems possible. It's a little aggressive, but they've they've clearly been aggressive with the timeline to begin with. I mean, we were thinking September just yesterday. <laughs> so if he's back in a week, I mean, it's it's certainly possible. He's just the best catcher from this point forward. Uh, but I'll play it a little more cautiously and say say top five. All right. Yeah, I've got a. Got to get him back up there in my rankings as well. A uh, few other notes here from Monday. Chris Bryant is apparently going to see a specialist for his foot. So before he was dealing with a back injury, he was not in the lineup Monday because of the sore foot. So it just seems like uh, one thing after another. He, you know, he's been kind of hot recently, Chris Bryant. But uh, yeah, now dealing with this foot injury. The other big news was uh, Mackenzie Gore left his re relief appearance on Monday due to left elbow soreness. So that would explain uh, the velocity being down recently for Mackenzie Gore. And you know, they, they've kind of ramped him up a lot this season between, uh, you know, after last year, he was he spent a lot of time in the minors and, and trying to work on his mechanics. And he was in the rotation a lot this year. So I don't know, maybe they just kind of put too much on his plate too quickly. But hopefully uh, yeah. for dynasty I- purposes, Mackenzie Gore is okay. Yeah, I mean, even prior to this, I dropped him in... Yeah, you know, I, even in a couple fifteen team leagues where I had him, it just didn't seem like yeah. I could trust him. And and you know they were obviously messing with his role and everything. I don't think he has any value in redraft for the rest of the season unless he miraculously gets back in the rotation. But I just don't see that happening. Gene Segura will also begin a rehab assignment at AAA on Tuesday. He looks like he could be ready when first eligible on August 2nd. J.D. Martinez has missed four straight while nursing back spasms. He remains day-to-day. And the Red Sox are, are kind of a hot topic right now because the trade deadline is approaching. I believe it's August 2nd, and uh, the Red Sox are pretty clearly falling out of it here, and they have a lot of names available. J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, potentially. So uh, we'll we'll see if, if Martinez can get back on the field. Maybe he is uh, shipped out to another team. I think I saw the Mets linked to J.D. Martinez here on Monday. Justin Turner has missed four straight with that abdominal injury and went through uh, a full pregame workout. Sounds like he could be back on Tuesday or Wednesday with the Dodgers. Chris Taylor was cleared to run on the field on Monday. He's been on the IL since July 4th due to a small fracture in his left foot. Brewers prospect Ethan Small was recalled and is expected to start Tuesday against the Twins. In 15 starts at AAA, he had a 3.34 ERA, 1.24 whip, with 81 strikeouts over 72 and two-thirds innings pitched. He's 7% rostered. It's got any interest in Ethan Small, or just a name to watch for now? Just a name to watch. His walk rate is horrible in the minors. I mean, he, he doesn't get hit much at all. So that's how he's he's managed to put up a good ERA in spite of that. But I, I don't know that that's necessarily going to be a formula for success in the majors. And I don't think he's going to have a lot of one- runway here either because Freddie Peralta, uh, he's already started a rehab assignment, right? Like he's, yeah, I believe he's he getting made, close to returning. I believe he made a rehab start on Sunday. Um, but I'll try to pull that up and see how he did because... I didn't see any results from that start. Yadier Molina will begin a rehab assignment at AAA on Monday. Rather, he began a rehab assignment when you are listening to this. Mike Zanino will undergo thoracic outlet surgery and miss the remainder of the season. His teammate Kevin Kiermeyer will undergo hip labrum surgery and will also miss the rest of the season. This isn't player news, but MLB and MLB Players Association representatives failed to reach an agreement on an international draft proposal which means draft pick compensation will remain tied to free agents uh, for the remainder of this collective bargaining agreement. And Scott, I don't think this really affects us too much. I mean, maybe we see those free agents um, who have that draft pick compensation. It takes them longer to sign, or maybe they even they don't even sign until the season starts. We, we've seen that in the past, but uh, I don't really think this affects us too much. What do you think? Yeah. I mean that that's something that 
I would have liked to see end uh, so that we don't have that awkward situation with, with free agents holding out until the start of the season, basically. But, but it seems like it's going to continue, so we just have to live with it. Freddie Peralta's rehab start on Sunday. He went two innings, one hit, one run, one walk with three strikeouts. So it's a start. <laughs> I think he's probably going to need, you know, maybe two, three, four more, and uh, hopefully we'll get Freddie Peralta back in the next coming weeks. Let's evaluate some hitters that we haven't talked much about so far this season. JT Real Muto picked up his 13th steal of the season here on Monday, and it's kind of been a weird season, you know, batting average hovering around 250. He does have eight home runs, so the power has taken a step back so far. You know, oddly enough, Scott, I thought his season was going a lot worse than it was. I guess it's just the catcher position is so bad, but he's still the fourth-ranked catcher in both head-to-head points and roto this season. But again, the power is is what has really declined. 397 slugging percentage is a career low. His 144 ISO is second lowest of his career. What do you make of the season that we've seen so far from JT Real Muto? I think he's a player who's obviously in decline, and it's been it's been pretty steady the last uh, few years, taking a small step back each time. And uh, I think it's pretty obvious at this point that he is not as good of a hitter as he once was. But he plays a lot still, and that helps elevate him in points leagues. And the 13 steals, I'm sure, are elevating him in... in uh, in roto leagues and five by five scoring, it's more than twice as many as any other catcher eligible player, including Dalton Varsho, who we thought would maybe be the big base stealer at that position. Real Muto's more than doubled him up, so that has helped. And we've seen him deliver double digit steal totals before. I did. I think he's on pace for a career high at this point, or is thirteen already the high? It's got to um, be close. Yeah. So that was unexpected, and it's helped. It's helped kind of soften the decline, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is. He's equal to his season high set last year, actually. Yeah, I almost wonder, Scott. You know, from a roto perspective, do you almost prefer this output from JT Real Muto, where you know maybe he hits 260, 12 to fifteen home runs, but you know he approaches twenty steals? Would maybe you prefer that outcome in, in a categories league? Well, the thing about that is, you know, it just entirely depends on the makeup of your roster. Are you getting True. enough steals from everywhere else? Is it? Is it? I mean, you certainly didn't plan on him being one of your bigger base stealers, so maybe it's excess. And we've also seen him as the number one catcher in the past. And you said he's fourth in roto. Yeah. With this, uh, with this breakdown. Uh, but again, it depends on. It depends on what you need more of. Steals, I think I think there have been more sources of steals. I'm not saying there are a ton of steals out there, but it hasn't been so confined to just a handful of players. Uh, at least that's my I haven't I haven't looked into it and really broken it down, but uh when I look at my own rosters, it's like, oh, I'm doing okay in steals and I'm getting them from a bunch of places I didn't expect to get them, you know? Yeah. No, it's a good point that you bring up too. It, it comes down to your roster construction. Like you weren't expecting this. It's kind of it's similar to Byron Buxton, where like you were expecting more speed from Buxton, but instead he's just kind of mm-hmm. turned into like this I don't know, Kyle Schwarber type hitter where he's low batting average, a bunch of power. It's it's been a very weird season for Byron Buxton. Let's move over to Jonathan India. Hopefully, this is kind of the breakout game that that gets him going here in the second half. Three hits, including a grand slam on Monday. And he's actually been solid overall in the month of July. 261 batting average, including Monday's action. Four homers, 11 RBI, one steal, an 839 OPS. That sounds a lot like the player we saw last year. Uh, yeah. lots, lots of line drives, according to uh, fan graphs, at least hasn't been reflected in the StatCast data, Scott. That's the one thing where even in July, the numbers have been okay. I think it's like an 84-mile-per-hour average exit velocity, which is very low. I noticed that, too. I was like, oh, look, Jonathan India is heating up. And then you look at the exit velocity, it's (laughs) like, wow, that's maybe he's not heating up. Maybe he's just getting lucky. Uh, But then he has a game like this where all four of the balls were hit very hard. So uh, I don't know what the average exit velocity looks like now in July, but presumably it's higher. And then there's also the fact that last year, Jonathan India won rookie of the year with an average exit velocity of like 
87.5 or something like that, also very low, which is a big reason uh, Chris had him as a bust coming into the year. So it's Jonathan India's profile, you know, unless he learns to impact the ball harder, it requires him to thread the needle in terms of ball placement. And he's very good at pulling the ball. He's very good at hitting it on a line. So, you know, he makes the balls he does impact hard. He, he's, he's good at making them count, or at least he was last year. And hopefully he's getting back to that this year. It's, it's too small of a sample to say for sure if that's what's going on. But, um, you know, if I've held on to Jonathan India all this time, I'm, I'm encouraged, if nothing else. I was going to unfairly peg him as a hitter that likely plays better at home, you know, makes the most of lesser batted ball data in a really good ballpark like Cincinnati is. But in his career, he's got a 749 OPS at home, 839 on the road, which is kind of interesting. Like if he learns to take advantage of Cincinnati, maybe we can get even better numbers from Jonathan. Yeah, I'd like to see more walks from him. He did have one today, his walk rate. His walk rate was the thing he was best at, both in the minors and as a rookie. And this year, it's just been horrible. So I don't know if that's an indication of impressing or maybe the league's not scared of him anymore. Uh, I think probably the former. And of course, the interruptions with the hamstring injury haven't helped. I am cautiously optimistic about Jonathan. Just to sum it up, I'm cautiously optimistic about Jonathan India the rest of the way. But uh, it's, it's a tricky profile to assess. I don't know if we can still call him a buy low after this game, but if I you mean, can... He's, he's still a buy low. The numbers yeah. are still terrible overall, I think. Would you do it if you could? I mean, I'm not going to flatly say yes. It, it, like, if I don't need a second baseman, I'm not going to bother with it, you know? But if I do need a second baseman, I'd probably look to somebody like Brandon Lau before I look to Jonathan India. Uh, but... You know, he's he's among the buy low candidates, sure. All right, let's move over to Jeremy Pena, who went two for four with a walk in his 15th home run. Just quietly going along, rookie season. He's been very, very good. Uh, 266 batting average to 15 home runs, as I mentioned. Six steals, 780 OPS. He doesn't walk much, right around a 5% walk rate. Strikeout rate is fine, 24%. Batted ball data, not great, but he is part of one of the best lineups in baseball with the Houston Astros. He's the 113th overall player in Roto. That's uh, before uh, Monday's decent game here. Not as good in points league, Scott, which I think makes sense because of the plate discipline, but how would you assess Jeremy Pena's rookie season thus far? It's been better than I expected. Much better, yeah. I Yeah, I thought... I thought him being such a poor plate discipline guy and having so little experience in the upper levels of the minors, I, I thought I thought he was going to get chewed up and spit out, to be honest. Provide a lot of defensive value for the Astros, and that's about it. So he's definitely exceeded my expectations. It's been cold since coming back. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't think he has, like, stud upside at shortstop position with a lot of players that do. Mm-hmm. But I think he's a perfectly serviceable starter. Yeah. Listen to Robinson Cano. That's my takeaway here. I remember before the season, there I, I was watching an Astros spring training game, and there was like a graphic that came up that Robinson Cano said Jeremy Pena was going to be a star in this league, and he is very good defensively too. So I think mm-hmm. from a MLB like real life perspective, Jeremy Pena is yeah. probably even better than he is for right. fantasy. But yep. uh, yeah, he's he's certainly exceeded expectations this year. The last one, uh, another rookie, MJ Melendez, went one for five, hit his tenth home run. He also struck out three times in this game. How is his season going overall? He's hitting two twenty seven. He's got those ten homers, seven thirty six OPS. Strikes out a bit, twenty five percent, but helps out that he walks quite a bit as well, eleven percent walk rate. Hits the ball hard, 90.5 mile per hour, average exit velocity, 79th percentile this season. But oddly enough, he has reverse split, Scott, as a left-handed hitter. 267 batting average, 811 OPS against lefties. 213 batting average, 708 OPS against righties. Hmm. Which actually gives me a little bit of confidence that maybe he's going to get better here. Like As he gets better against righties, naturally, I would imagine... Uh, that, you know, the overall numbers are just kind of going to come together here for MJ Melendez. Yeah, I mean, it's very rare for a young left-handed hitter to have 
success against left-handed pitchers. So that he's doing that already, I think, is a very good sign. The play discipline has been good. Uh, he impacts the ball well. It's not, he's not elite, but you know, average exit velocity, 79th percentile. That's certainly good enough. Oh yeah. And um, yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with them overall. I, the batting average isn't good, but at catcher, you know, you you have a high margin for error to still be a productive player. And I think even in one catcher leagues, MJ Melendez, you can kind of slot him in and forget about him. Who would you rather have moving forward, him or Carson Kelly? Melendez. What do you think happens once, you know, we're probably still like a week or two away, but once Salvador Perez returns, seems like one of Melendez, Prado, Pasquantino is probably going to lose significant playing time. Oh, probably. I mean, we'll see how Prado's how Prado breaks in. So far, so good, but it's it's obviously a small sample. Uh, to a certain degree, we'll see how Vinny Pasquantino breaks in, though. I still have a ton of confidence in him. I'm actually writing an article uh, that should be on, you know, by the time you're listening to this, it should be up on the site, unless you're listening to this live, um, <laughs> where uh, like eight, eight, Play like eight breakout players for the second half, basically. And Pasquantino is among them. Aaron Ashby is among them. He was going to be even before this start Monday. Uh, so now it just looks like I'm now it just looks like I am uh, following the trends. But no, I, I believe that for Ashby anyway. And uh, I believe that for Pasquantino too. Pasquantino, by the way, did have a good game here on Monday. Two hits, a double, a walk, I believe. And yeah, his average exit velocity. You know, obviously a small sample for Pasquantino, but only um, among full-time players, only Jordan Alvarez and uh, Aaron Judge are higher wow. than than Pasquantino, and he has a better strikeout rate and walk rate than Mookie Betts. So, <laughs> like, I I, I think Pasquantino is really good. I think it's going to start to show itself soon. But getting back to your question, if Prado is good, if Pasquantino is good. And Perez is coming back. Like we've seen Melendez play the outfield in the majors. We've seen Prado play the outfield in the minors. I think they'll figure it out. All right. I, I hope that's the case because, look, I want to see as much of these young kids, especially in the second half, as, as we possibly can. Pitching leftovers from Monday. Merrill Kelly has really turned it back on here in July. He was up against the Giants. He went eight shutout with three hits, zero walks, uh, seven strikeouts. He had 10 swinging strikes. He's got five straight quality starts. And overall, the season, you know, fastball velocity up a mile per hour compared to last year. And the changeup and cutter have just done a great job of getting out so far this season, Scott. So uh, I don't really know that there's, you know, much to add. I think he's close to 90% rostered, but it's been a nice turnaround. It's kind of up and down so far, but a very, very good July for Merrill Kelly. Yeah. I mean... I don't think he's this good. <laughs> that discrepancy between the ERA and the XFIP, you know, pretty much sums it up. A, a run difference there. Uh, but I do think Merrill Kelly is good at looking good for stretches at a time. We've seen it from him before. He can he can be very efficient. He can work deep into games. And right now he's having a what is it a seven start stretch where they've basically all been bangers. I think one wasn't a quality start, but it was close. Mm -hmm. And the others all have been. Yeah, I think it was six innings, four runs in that one start. I mean, look, if you want to try selling high on Merrill Kelly, I don't think that's a bad idea. I think he's probably like a top 60 starting pitcher the rest of the way. Really, you know, I mentioned him in relation to Sean Manaya earlier, where I think Sean Manaya belongs in that Merrill Kelly class. Well, right now there's... Right now, Merrill Kelly's ERA is about a run better than Sean Manaya's. So that True. that makes him a sell high candidate in my eyes. All right, let's move over. You know, two aces so far this season that were not great here on Monday. Max Freed, he's been a little bit more hittable recently. He went six innings, nine hits, three runs, eight strikeouts at the Phillies. I'll point out he had a 474 Babip in this game despite. An 80.3 mile per hour average exit velocity. I mean, that is just mm. very, very low. Uh, so maybe a little bit unlucky here for Max Fried. And then Tony Gonsolin did not have his best stuff. He was up against the Nationals. He also got kind of 
banged around in this weird fifth inning where Juan Soto hit a triple that like skipped over Freddie Freeman's head. It, it was it was very weird how it, how it all went down. But uh, Tony Gonsolin went six innings, four runs, four strikeouts in this start. Uh, anything, Scott, on Freed and Gonsolin? Freed hasn't looked right since he left that start with uh, trying to remember what it was. It was like a hamstring injury, some some minor leg issue. Uh, and he had like his velocity has been down his last three starts and none of them have been horrible, but they've all, he's just looked a little off lately. Velocity is not way down, but you know, like half a mile per hour down on everything. And so, you know, I, I wonder if, I wonder if he's fighting something a little bit, something to keep an eye on. I'm not panicked about it or anything. Uh, Gonsolin, his numbers were so ridiculous in the first half that you knew there was going to be some regression at some point. And I understand that's a real data-minded way of looking at it. You know, I'm sure there's an actual cause to the regression beyond just this is the way the numbers go. But this is the way the numbers go. Like (laughs) those, Those things do happen, like his feel for a pitch is off a little bit or or maybe his arm slot is not exactly right, or or whatever. What all the different ways a pitcher could struggle. Um, it, it it looks like Onslaught's a little off right now too. Doesn't mean he's broken. It just means, just means there's no way a, a pitcher can pitch that impeccably for a full six months. Ranger Suarez made his second start since returning from the IL. It was um, a mixed bag up against the Braves. Five innings, three unearned runs, four strikeouts. Did have 14 swinging strikes on 78 pitches. We mentioned this often. The Braves do swing and miss quite a bit. Uh, he did change up the pitch mix in this one. He threw five different pitches between 10% and 29%. So he was really kind of mixing it up and, and diversifying his pitch mix. Uh, he cut his sinker usage in half, used more cutters and curveballs, specifically in this one for Ranger Suarez. Scott, does this change in pitch mix matter at all? He's 71% rostered, could be out there in some shallower leagues. I mean, it could matter. He was kind of the breakout pitcher of the second half last year. And uh, so we know he has that in him. His his control has been much worse this year. He has still been a good ground ball pitcher, but not the elite ground ball pitcher he was last year. And it's all added up to uh, an ERA and whip that makes him, you know, pretty fringy, pretty fringy. But we know he has that in him. And if he can figure out a way to recapture that, then we'll be, we'll be signing up for him all over again. All right. Trevor Rogers, I know. We talk about somebody with like a near six ERA way too much. He's still terrible. He was at the Reds. He gave up six runs over three and two-thirds innings pitch. It's, it's just so uncanny, Scott, from one year to the next. I, I can't think of a player on the spot that kind of fits this same description, but a young pitcher who comes up just looks fantastic looks like the next breakout starting pitcher and then just the very next year control is terrible he's he's so hittable swinging strike rate just completely plummets year over year asking for a friend what would you do with trevor rogers if you have him in a dynasty league ah well that's a tough one um as always it depends on how the dynasty leagues actually set up in your particular case, <laughs> I know it's a 24-team head-to-head points dynasty league where players have you know different keeper costs, and and Trevor Rogers is very low, so that does change the analysis a bit. I would say, honestly, I have very little confidence in Trevor Rogers going forward. <sighs> Damn, you always want. <laughs> to keep an open mind and, and, you know, he obviously he dominated last year and he could again. So you don't want, like you, you want to, if you can get some value out of him, you want to try, but I am in another dynasty league. It's set up a little differently. It's, it's also 24 teams, but you only get to keep 10 major leaguers. He's not going to be among my 10 major league keepers. I know that. And so like, if I can get anything, else that I would consider keeping for him, I, I'd do that. Uh, so I'd be fine selling him for, yeah, 
I don't know what would be 50 cents. I don't know what his dollar looks like to say I'd sell him for 50 cents on the dollar. You know, like I, yeah. I have, I don't, I don't put much value on him anymore. So, um, you know, I don't even know what, what to describe as the dollar in his case, but I, I would, I, I wouldn't expect much in return for him. Now in a situation like yours, where he's a very cheap player to keep, uh, a, you could probably get more in return, so it's still worth shopping. But B, it probably does make sense to keep him just in the hope that he figures this out. Yeah, it's so tough because obviously I bought him last year, and he was even cheaper than he was now in this Dynasty League, Scott White Dynasty League that we well, you, all play. I mean, you gave up to get him because of the salary. Yeah, yeah. And combination I, of salary and skill, you know? I was so excited, right? About yeah. Look, many people were uh, excited about Trevor Rogers. So it, it's just tough because, like, do you sell now a, a depreciated asset in a dynasty league Yeah. when you know that there's a chance that the value could get even lower? I mean, mm-hmm. if Trevor Rogers just does this for the entire season, then by default, his value is lower at the end of this year than it is right now. So yes. you can kind of sell him and still kind of recoup yeah. some of the value, but it's... But what if he turns it it's, back on? You know, it, it, he doesn't show any signs of doing that, but there's still a possibility. Right. And, and you tough. know, obviously the, the conventional wisdom is buy low, sell high, right? I mean, yeah. there's no way there's no way you're selling high on Trevor Rogers. It, it would only be selling low in a dynasty context, and I get that. But you have to... There are other factors to consider. If you're limited, I mean, a big factor to consider is, you know, who is... Um, oh, what's the term? Um opportunity cost, right? Because you're limited in the number of players you keep, or maybe you're limited in the number of, uh, in the amount of salary you keep. And and yes, Trevor Rogers could bounce back next year, but what are you sacrificing keeping by, by taking that chance? And so that might, that often drives my decision-making in dynasty leagues where it's like, yeah, I mean, maybe... Maybe I'll look back and say, oh, if I'd kept him, I'd have this great rotation because he ends up bouncing back, you know, and I I regret it to that extent. But at the same time, like, again, what am I giving up by not trading him? And could I get, could I get something that I would more easily be able to keep instead because someone else is out there and like, oh yeah, Trevor Rogers, great buy low opportunity, you know? So it's, it's. It's a it's really complicated. Yes, I guess, it is. Is what uh what I'm trying to say, and it really depends a lot on the specific parameters of your league. All right, last pitching note here: you can only face the Oakland A's so many times in a row, I guess, because uh, Jake Odorizzi did not look great. Five plus innings, seven hits, six earned runs in that start. Some quick hitting leftovers: Ty France had three hits, including his 13th home run. Adolis Garcia hit his 18th home run. He just will not stop. And I, I love it. Good for you, Adolis Garcia. Brandon Lau went one for three with his sixth home run of the season. And in six games since returning from the IL, he's 10 for 23. That is a 435 batting average. The call to the bullpen, some updates here for the Cubs. With David Robertson unavailable, uh, Scott Efros picked up his first save of the season. Now, Rowan Wick hasn't been used since Friday. And I couldn't find any news about him, so... It seems like he should have been available. He has not been very good this season. Uh, nope. but Scott, Scott just, has been. Yeah. yeah, I'm just trying to figure out, like, to me, it seems like a pretty foregone conclusion that the Cubs will try and trade David Robertson. I think it's very likely that he's gone. Yeah. What happens next? You know, Michael Givens still was the setup man in this in this game. Uh, do you think Scott Efros could be the next man up for the Cubs? So he entered this game with a 279 ERA, 102 whip, 10.5K per nine. I mean, those sound like closer caliber numbers to me. Yep. Uh, he has been more of the seventh inning guy than the eighth inning guy. But, I, I mean, he could be. It's it's It could be Givens instead. Givens obviously has closer experience. So you're just kind of, like, it'd have to be a pretty deep league, I think, to um, for you to speculate because... There's a good chance it'll be a mix after Robertson is traded, and if it's not, there's a good chance a good chance you'll pick the wrong guy. Yeah, <laughs> this time of year is is very interesting, especially in deeper leagues. You know, you you try and stash a few guys leading up to the deadline because it's just 
so hard to find saves in like 15 team roto leagues, but uh, it's I'm not entirely a guessing game, but it, it's pretty close, pretty close to a guessing game. Uh, for the Phillies, Sir Anthony Dominguez struck out one for his fifth save of the season. He is 42% rostered. For the Red Sox, Garrett Whitlock pitched the final two innings for his second save of the season, and he, uh, Tanner, Tanner Houck, rather, last pitched on Saturday. Um, so it seems like he could have been available. They only had one other save opportunity since Whitlock returned, and... Uh, Hulk blew that one and wound up with a win. So mm. uh, what are you thinking here, Scott, with the Red Sox bullpen? I, I, is it fluid? Do you think maybe Garrett Whitlock comes in for more saves? What do you think? I think I think it's still probably Hauk. I know he hasn't had one all month, but that's partly because the Red Sox just haven't had many save opportunities. Like I, uh, Their two most recent saves prior to this one, uh, one... One went to um, John Schreiber on a day when Hauk was unavailable, and one went to Ryan Brazier in an 11 inning game. So, like, okay, you're gonna understand why Hauk didn't get those saves, and I, I think that's, I think that's why he's in a saves drought. And you know, I think this one was just Whitlock is used to going multiple innings. He pitched the eighth inning. Fine, let's leave him out there for the ninth. All right, for the Nationals, Kyle Finnegan gave up a hit but did pick up his third save of the season, and he is 24% rostered. Scott, let's say you need saves, 12-team Roto League, Sir Anthony Dominguez, Garrett Whitlock, Kyle Finnegan. How are you ranking those three? I'm ranking them Sir Anthony Dominguez, Ryan Finnegan, Garrett Whitlock. All right, for the... Rockies, Daniel Bard allowed a hit and a walk, but picked up his 21st save. For the Oakland A's, my good friend, Lou Trevino, he hates me, but he also still stinks. He entered mm-hmm. with a three-run lead. He gave up three hits, a walk, a run, did pick up his ninth save of the season. One day after, I drop him in all of my leagues. For the Mariners, Paul Seawald pitched in the eighth inning to face the heart of the lineup, Corey Seager, Jonah Heim, Adolis Garcia, and then in the ninth inning, Diego Castillo started the inning. He gave up a run on two hits and a walk. He was relieved by Eric Swanson, who picked up his second save of the season. To stream or not to stream on Tuesday, Keegan Thompson versus the Pirates, Spencer Watkins versus the Rays, Jose Suarez at the Royals, Angel Serpa with the Royals. He is uh, going up against the Angels, Dane Dunning at the Mariners, and Mitch White versus the Nationals. Mitch White's okay, but I'm not. Like, I'm not confident he's going to go deep enough for a win. Yeah. But it's a good matchup, and he's pitched okay. I think Keegan Thompson is fine against the Pirates. On Wednesday, we have Brad Keller versus the Angels, Cole Irvin versus the Astros, Marco Gonzalez versus the Rangers, Braxton Garrett at the Reds, Domingo Herman at the Mets, and Tyler Wells versus the Rays. I think our boy Braxton Garrett. Time to see if he can do it against somebody other than the Pirates. (laughs) Not, not like the Reds are that tough of a matchup. So, yeah, I think I think he's the choice here. I think that's fair. We do have a few Team Name Tuesday, very uh, limited selection here, but I'll read them off. From Bill's fiance, Candy. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Spelled with a W, yep. <laughs> I think we've heard that one a few times, but an oldie, but a goodie. From Robert, Natural Born Kellers. Hmm. Okay, that works. And from Terry, uh, Scott, you're going to hate this one. For the beer aficionados out there, Hayes India Bell Al Kentara. <laughs> it's supposed to sound like Hazy India Pale Ale, but he also emailed in and said that he wrote that while drinking a Hazy India uh, IPA. So maybe that's... him a little hazy. <laughs> I think so. Uh, Hayes yeah. India Bell Al. Kintara. That's that's what we're going with there. All right, we're going to wrap up. That is for, uh, for Scott. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball Today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.